the book of the Acts of the Apostles, part 16. In our last meeting, we saw a multiplicity of baptisms, which made us note that there is more than one baptism. Hence, under the heading, the doctrine of baptisms, which we described as God's words, precepts, or instructions about baptisms, we began to discuss the subject of baptisms in a broad sense. The Jews had thought of baptism as washings or ablution, but baptisms are more than the application of water for the purpose of washing away the filth of sin from a person. From our discussion last week, we concluded that one, although baptism refers to being dipped, immersed, or submerged in a medium, that medium is not always water. Two, every baptism is a matter of faith because the medium of baptism is not always visible except in the case of Christian baptism, also known as water baptism. Three, where water is the medium of baptism, the water is nothing more than a ceremonial means of baptism and does not result in salvation. Only Jesus saves. Four, in general, for a baptism to be really a baptism, there must be A, a baptizer who is divinely appointed, B, the baptized who has been prepared a priori, C, the medium of baptism which is not always water, D, the purpose of the baptism which is always Christ-centric, that is Christ-centered, E, the precondition of baptism which is that the baptized is born again, and F, the confession for the baptism which is the declaration being made at the baptism and must be a statement of faith of the baptized in the life, suffering, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Five, based on 4E and F above, just baptism is not one of the baptisms that Christians engage in today. Although its significance for Christianity is incontrovertible, the confession of sins leading to repentance, whether we like it or not, that is the beginning that we start from. We don't get baptized to make that, to, to say that, to seek God's um, forgiveness, to confess our sins, uh, and to repent. But we engage in it nonetheless. Six, nonetheless, John's baptism served the purpose of revealing Jesus to Israel as the Messiah. Seven, baptisms must bring believers in Christ to the experience of living under the Lordship of Christ by doing the will of the Father and leaving all in His hands. 8. Baptisms can be likened to dipping a piece of cloth in a dye solution in which the cloth takes on the color or characteristics of the dye solution. Thus, baptisms are about a Christian taking on the nature of Christ in every respect. 9. Baptisms are only a blessing when a baptized person does not live contrary to Christ. Otherwise, he is still a sinner, though he may have been baptized and sadly a candidate for hell. The Lord will not allow that to be our portion in Jesus' name. Amen. That every, every blessing of baptisms we will reap in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. So let's take our... Um, scripture texts similar to the one of last week because the third uh, text, we're only taking one portion of one verse. 
So our verses will be Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, Hebrews 5, 12 to 14, and Hebrews chapter 2, uh, chapter 6, the A part of verse 2. So Hebrews 6, 2a. Acts chapter 1, 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, he, that is Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's uh, move to Hebrews chapter 5, and we shall be reading from verse 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. My prayer for us is that we will not be babes in Jesus' name. And in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, the A part, it talks of the doctrine of baptisms. The doctrine of baptisms. As we press on in our discussion on the doctrine of baptisms, we shall not be taking on any one specific baptism. Rather, we shall be focusing on the crux, that is the core, the essence, the significance, the purpose, and the application of baptisms in general to the Christian. At least three aspects shall be considered. At least three aspects of this crux we shall consider. May the Lord help us not to be ignorant or babes in this matter so that we can teach others the truth about baptisms as declared in the scriptures. Amen. So we are looking at the doctrine of baptisms and the sub-theme rites of passage. Rites of passage. The first of the crux of the doctrine of baptisms is that baptisms are like rites of passage for a believer in Christ. A rite of passage is usually a ceremony that depicts the transition of a person from one age group to another or from one status to another. In life, we have these rites of passage. For example, a baby is born. Eight days after, he is named. That's a rite of passage for that baby. He's moved from a baby, a nameless baby, to a baby with a name. Three months after, uh, thereafter, the baby and the mother comes to church for dedication. Another rite of passage for the baby because that's the first time that baby enters into the assembly of believers, wherever the mother used to worship. And then as the baby grows, we see another rite of passage when two teeth come out. We're excited. Baby doesn't understand all of these things, but it's happening in his life. And then a time comes when the baby is able to say, bah, 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 make some sense. And say, ah, baby's talking. And so on and so forth. And then a time comes when the baby goes to school. At age five or six, that is what it should be, actually. 
Even though I know some people send their babies to school from age two. I don't know what the baby is learning there. They're just going to disturb the poor baby's life. And then the baby gets to, uh, finishes primary school, gets into secondary school, and then one of the major rites of passages is when he clocks 16 or 18. They're excited. In fact, 18, because now that, that erstwhile baby is now an adult who can vote, who can get a driver's license, who can begin to do what other adults are doing. A time comes that baby gets married. That's another rite of passage. Finally, that baby becomes an, an old person and dies. So, baptism is like that in phases of our lives. In baptisms, the believer in Christ transitions from a past sinful and sin-loving life to a new, holy and sin-abhorrent life. From Satan's kingdom of darkness and wickedness to God's kingdom of light and righteousness. From death in the world that is steep in sin and worldliness to life in Christ and so on. And what we want to focus on is this aspect of baptisms being the right of the, the rite of passage. So we are going to look at uh, some scriptures right away and see some of these rites of passage as applicable to the believer in Christ. Remember what we said last week that for the believer, baptism can only take place after you are born again. So these rites of passage actually take place. After this believer is born again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 to 14, I'm going to read from the New King James, and then you read the message, and um, we'll also look at the Living Bible. From verse 12 to verse 14. For as the body is one, and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. Verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. What we are looking at here is when the believer is baptized into the body of Christ or into Christ. He is moved from the world and put into the body of Christ. So let's take the message of that now. Verse 12, you can easily see and easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we, are, we, are, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. Pause. We all said what? Goodbye to our partial and piecemeal life. That was not a full life at all. We're not enjoying any life. We claimed we were enjoying, but there was no life there. Continue, please. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life. In which, he has, has, in which he has the final say. Pause again. Before, 
we were our own masters. We did whatever we liked. But through baptism, what has happened now? We give up that. We are actually interwoven with other Our lives are now interwoven with other people's lives. We cannot be selfish. We cannot be self-seeking anymore. And then we come under the authority of Christ. Continue, please. This is what we this is what we proclaimed. Remember we talked about declaration at baptisms. Like, this is exactly what we proclaimed. That we are no longer of the world. We are now of Christ. Satan is no longer our master. Christ is now our master. That we are through with sin. And henceforth we are living for righteousness. Please continue. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body. Refreshed and sustained as one fountain. His spirit. Where we all come to drink. The whole labels we want to use to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. Stop. Pause there. The labels we had, I'm Igbo, I'm Yoruba, I'm Hausa, doesn't exist. In baptism, there's no ethnicity, there's no tribalism, there's no nepotism, nothing like that. Our lives are now interwoven. We just that we are, we're not going to take time, we're not going to read further down, but I will advise you to, I will encourage you to go and read further down. With this understanding, you will now appreciate what is documented further down, where he says that if, if one person suffers, what happens to the rest of us? We all suffer. Whether you are in Nigeria or you are in America, if one Christian in any part of the world is suffering, you suffer also. That is what baptism accomplishes. We are translated from a past world, a past life, into a new life, into a new lifestyle. Continue, please. We need something large and more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant. Nonsense. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all different, but similar parts arranged. You are, you are, look, let me, let, let me explain this. Through baptisms, we come to appreciate one thing. That there is not one insignificant believer. Let me give you the example of a home. A baby is born. Can that baby do anything? But do we consider that baby an integral part of the home? Is, he, is that baby a part of the family? Is that baby significant to the home? Of course! That baby gives meaning to that home. That baby, is, even though the baby is at this at that early stage, taking and taking and taking and taking and taking, that's all the baby is doing. Yet, that baby is significant in that home. So there is no insignificant believer. Every believer is significant. Baptism gets us to appreciate that. Praise the name of the Lord. Can we take that from the Living Bible? The mic is next to you. It's not on. First Corinthians 12, verse 14. Living Bible. Our bodies have many parts, but the many parts make up only one body. When they are all put together, so it is with the body of Christ. Each of us is a part of the body of the one body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. Pause, please. 
you don't have two bodies of Christ. It is wrong to call somebody an American Christian. A Nigerian Christian. It doesn't exist. A Christian is a Christian. You may be a Christian in Nigeria, but you are, first and foremost, a Christian. Your nationality is irrelevant in the church. Continue, please. But the Holy Spirit has fitted us all together into one body. Pause. Who, who baptizes into the body? The Holy Spirit. He is the baptizer. And you see the word that is used. He has seated. What does that mean? There is a place for you in the body. A position. If you are not in that position, the body becomes unproductive. Or is not producing to its capacity. Now, if we translate that to the, to the local assembly where you belong, you discover that you are significant in that local assembly. It is the Spirit of God who can move you out of that place. No man should. No man can. Do you understand that? But at the right time, those people will tell you where next he's taking you to. However, it is not your decision. You can't say, oh, I like this place, so I'm going to stay here. You can say, no, I want you to move to a village. And you move. Continue, please. We have been baptized into Christ's body by the one Spirit and have all been given that same Holy Spirit. Pause. How many people have been given this Holy Spirit? All. How many? All. All. As long as you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, you see, the, the, the challenge that we face, and I think we are going to be discussing this two, two weeks from now or so, is the matter of experience. There's so much theology and theory about many of these things. But when it comes to the experiencing of it, many of us are falling short. Please conclude. That should be verse 14 now. Yes. The body has many parts, not just one part. Praise the name of the Lord. So, as we are here today, we form the body of Christ in this local assembly. Each one here has an integral role to play today. Do you understand? Either to receive or to give. Either to be nourished or to be groomed and so on and so forth. But we are all an integral part of the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, with this understanding, I want us to look at certain things. The experience of Israel. Because there are many people who have been baptized into the church, but whose experience is not of this baptism into the body. They are, self, they are still self-seeking, even though they are in a church where self doesn't exist. Do you understand? They, they don't consider themselves an integral part of the local assembly. You see them away. In fact, if you go to Galatians chapter 5, from 19 to 21, you talk, you, the Bible talks about the works of the flesh. And one of the things it mentions, I think in the Living Bible, it talks of party spirit. Thinking, believing that we, this, our group, is the in group in this church. It's called, it's called the work of the flesh. Because you are trying to remove yourself 
from the rest of the body. Even if you are a small group, you try to remove yourself from that group. That is why some of the things we do, even though they seem to be okay, they actually do not help the integration of the body. Uh, what, 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 what are those things that we have? Men's fellowship. The men gather to one side and discuss their problems. And sometimes we now discover that the men's fellowship becomes a clique in the church. And within the men's fellowship, you have cliques inside the men's fellowship. You have the women's uh, group also. And before you know what's happening, cliques are formed in that group. And you have all kinds of cliques in the church that does not permit the church to now integrate as it should be. So we don't have one body. So by the time we are talking, the women will gather and say, no, let's go and meet pastor. How can they do that? Then, 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 then. Before you know what's happening, you must have men's week. You must have women's week. You must have children's week. You must have teenagers week. We do all these things. It seems okay, but it does not permit, it does not allow the integration of the body of Christ. And then we take it a step further. We now have churches that have become denominations. And now tell their members. Do you see the use of the language now? Our members. Not to go to this other place. Not to go to that other place. So what we have, instead of a church, is sectionalism. And so, what baptism sought to achieve is being undone by the same people who ought to have been receiving the full blessings of baptism. So in some churches, when, you, when God has called you out to another walk, those churches will say, you have gone, we don't want to see you again. They fail to realize that you are still in the body. You are a part of the body. You actually have a message for the body. But they deny themselves the great value that that individual is bringing to the body. So even though this fellow has so much to tell the body, that God is using him, that is, to tell the body, they shut their doors from the word of the very word and voice of God. Baptism teaches us inclusiveness, not exclusivity. The church is not an exclusive club. It is an inclusive body. As many as believe in Christ, they are a part of Christ. So, let's look at the, example, the case of um, Israel. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, from verse 1 to verse 13. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All, not the use of the word all. They were all integrated. All ate the same spiritual food. Note that. Nobody ate a spiritual food that is more than the other. You know, there are many, there are many, there, there, there are many speeches that I hear from church leaders that speaks of segregation. I, there's one poster that I saw of one church, I don't want to mention the name of the church. 
Say, God is always in our services. Is there any meeting that God is not present in, in any other church? There's another church that their slogan is, God is here. Is God not in other places? And then we, we come up with all manner of things, all to, put, to bring people to us. But that's not, that's not the teaching of the word of God. No, that's not what it is. So all at the same spiritual food. We're preaching from the same Bible. In verse 4. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. There is no, there is no church of the living God that does not have Christ, that does not eat or feed of the body of Christ. Feed of the word of Christ. In verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These were people who ate the same drink. Drank the same drink. Ate the same food. Were all baptized into one body under Moses. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things became our examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lost them. Even though many of us may have been baptized, this matter of lust, this matter of our selfish desires, they have a way of bringing about evil things in our lives and even seek to destroy and damage the unity of the body. Verse 7. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Here he's talking about when, Moses, uh, when Aaron had made the gold calf. How they, they, they removed their clothes they, and they, were, they began to dance. Many churches pride themselves in, we have a fantastic praise and worship. And I mean, you can enjoy praise and worship. And I've said this over and over again. Our singing of praises and worship songs is to whom? It's to God. It's not for us to enjoy. It's for God to enjoy. Instrumentation doesn't... So some people go and play at nightclubs and then come and play in the church. Are we worshipping God that way? No. If, it's, if all we have to do is clap our hands, so be it. God will accept it. It's God that accepts it, not man. We don't sing for men's approval. We do it for God. We sing from our hearts. Unto our God who is in heaven. Verse 8. Now let us commit sexual immorality. As some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell. Now let us tempt Christ. As some of them also tempted. And were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain. As some of them also complained. And were destroyed by the destroyer. We see facets of these things. In today's churches. And all the Bible is saying here. Is that these people. They were destroyed where? In the wilderness. They never entered the promised land. For us as believers today, where is our promised land? Is heaven, eternity. Where is our wilderness? Here on the earth. So you can imagine how many people are dying of here in the world. Losing that eternal place. Just because of their conduct. They were baptized. Do you understand that? Many people have been baptized. But their conduct speaks contrary to that baptism. 
verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples or as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We've discussed this when we're talking about the second coming of Christ. If you think you are standing, if you think because you have been baptized into one body, water baptism, baptizing the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues more than every other person, and then even when it comes to suffering, you are able to cope with it, and that is the basis on which you think you are going to go to heaven. No. The basis is who? Christ. And living for Him. And living as He wants us to live. Now in verse 13 it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. There is nothing you are going through that, has not, that somebody else has not gone through or is not going through or will not go through. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So even when we talk of things like um, baptism of suffering, where we are overwhelmed with, with the issues of life, with the challenges of life, the Bible says God is faithful. Turn to Him and He will make you an overcomer. Praise the name of the Lord. Now in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible also speaks, speaking again of the body of Christ, talks about how Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers have been given to the body to build it up, to remove childishness from the body, to make sure that the body is so interwoven and so integrated that we all come to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ or the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. So that there is no babe in the body. We can have babies in our homes. But as they grow, we must also educate them and teach them about how we conduct ourselves in our homes. In our home, in our family. Is that not so? So that our children can become profitable members of society. Nobody sends his child to school to become an armed robber. Nobody sends his child to school to become a corrupt official tomorrow. But there are certain things that we, we, we do in the home that makes that child to become an arm robber, to become a corrupt member of society. For example, if all you do in your home is elevate wealth, elevate money, you are, you are going to turn your children into people who love money so much and become a problem to society. Now, let's read it. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And he himself, that is Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I've discussed this, we've discussed this before. The pastor, the role of church leaders, is there to equip, to build you up as a believer, so that you can do the work of ministry. Whether in your office, in your communities, and even in the church. A time will come when you will be able to teach others what you are learning and what you have put to practice. And by so doing, we are further building up what? The body of 
Christ. When we talk of going out on evangelism, we go out to preach. When we win one or two souls, we have, we have to have a way, a means of gathering them together or individually and teach them the word of God even on the field. On the such a time as they are strong enough to come into the local assembly and be with us. Otherwise, even there, you can form a small assembly and teach them the word of God. In verse 13 says, This equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and for the fine of the body shall continue till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We must continue all of this until we all grow to the place where we all have the same measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, a church leader, for a church leader to be saying, to be gloating over the fact that he knows more than the congregants, something is wrong somewhere. If God did not give you the grace, you wouldn't know it. And you were given the grace to teach the others and bring them to the same unity of faith as you have. So that we all believe the same thing about Christ, scripturally speaking. And we all hold on to the same message, the same word. Now what we have is a situation where certain people are beginning to teach things that they should not be teaching. And we are having problems in the body of Christ. There is no unity of faith. So one assembly believes one thing, another assembly believes another thing. And we are wondering, is it the same Bible that we are teaching for? I, I heard that there was a time in the early days of deeper life when people would enter into deeper life because deeper life, was, deeper life was essentially a teaching ministry. People would go to deeper life meeting on, um, is it on Monday or so for Bible study. Tuesday. They would, have, they would go for Bible study on Tuesday. And then when they go back to their churches on Sunday, they would ask anybody who went to deeper life here, stand up. They would stand and tell them, please walk out of the church. They were removing them from the church. As if deeper life was not, uh, as if they were not impacting the word of God upon people. It was in that process of people being sent out from their assemblies that they went to meet uh, Pastor Kumi and said, you, have, you are teaching us the word of God. You say you want to do a teaching ministry. But we have nowhere to go to to worship God on a Sunday. So what do we do? That's how deeper life started, I'm told, to worship on Sundays. Otherwise it was basically a teaching ministry. But they were being kicked out of their churches. I mean, what is wrong with that? Going to learn more when they are not teaching you where you are. The man wants to continue to keep you there. Meanwhile, you, are going to, you have a place where you can learn the word of God. So you go, you learn the word of God, you go back to your local assembly and apply it. Do you understand? It's the word of God. You are not, except they are teaching from another thing. In verse 14 it says, we continue to do this since bringing everybody to a fullness of stature of Christ so that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. People are plotting all kinds of things, tricking. How can we get more people? How, if it is about filling up a church, people know how to fill churches. But it's not about filling up the church. The church will be full at some point in time. But it's about teaching the very word of Christ. In the bid to fill up the church, we have all kinds of cockroaches in our churches. 
These cockroaches graduate to become church leaders. You, can, you know where cockroaches actually live. They live in darkness. So you can imagine a cockroach as a pastor. But that's what is happening. Where people are becoming children. Or rather, they are not becoming. They are remaining as babes. Not being taught anything. And so there is very easy. There are many people in our churches today who have acquired doctrines from everywhere. And not one of those doctrines is scriptural. But they hold on and say, if they walk, if they walk, magic also works. The native doctor, what he does, it also works. It's not if they walk. It's about Christ. The minute you remove Christ from your teaching, from your meetings, you, you, are, you are now a club or a cult. You are not a church anymore. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head that is Christ. We are pointing you to Christ. We are not pointing you to a, master, to a pastor. We are pointing you to, that is who you should go to. You have a challenge, go to Christ. We can pray with you, not for you. You know there's a difference. We are praying along with you, not praying for you. There's so much, I pray for you, you become this. A prayer is simply a request made to God. God may honor it, and may not honor it. He may honor it in the life of one person, and not in the life of the other person. Verse 16. That is, uh, who, the, who is the head? From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Every what? The body is like a, a, the, the, the shirt. If you look at your shirt closely, you will see something. It, it looks like that they, they wove it. That's what, it. that's what the cloth is. It's woven. Interwoven, mixed, but all is one cloth, one piece of cloth, but interwoven. And every joint in this body is supplying something to the whole body. As you are sitting down there now, there are parts of your body that are emitting things that is valuable to the other parts of the body. There are other parts of the body that are taking out things that are injurious to the entire body. The same body, performing different functions. Can you ima- imagine a man who has no liver? You have a man who is already ingesting poison because we eat a lot of poison every day. But the liver is there doing its work, removing the poison. We have pores that's secreting the, 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 some of the poisons. There are some poisons that you take into your stomach. Immediately what happens? Stomach throws it out. Immediately recognize that this is poisonous and throws it out. There are those that the stomach does not immediately recognize as poisonous. The liver does that work. Taking it out. Every joint supplies, from what every joint supplies, sorry, let me take verse 16 again. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
if a part of the body is not playing its role, what happens to the entire body? Its growth is stunted. Its growth is stunted. Baptism gets us to appreciate these things. You are a part of the body of Christ. You have a major role to play. There is no competition in the body. What we ought to have is cooperation. In the place where you have competition, we have a problem. There are churches where they give award for the number of people who have brought more people to church than others. That is why you can bring vagabonds to church as long as they give you an award. Just tell the vagabonds, when they say praise the Lord, say hallelujah. When you see them singing, raise up your hand and be singing. That's all. They are not born again, but so that he can get his award, his monetary gift and whatever award they are giving him at the end of the month. As a man who brought in the most converts. But are they really converts? Baptism is a transitioning from one state to another. You used to be in the world. You had friends. You belonged to groups. You belonged to committees. You belonged to whatever. In baptism, you come into the body. A new family. A new body. Their lifestyle is even from the one you knew. It's a different lifestyle. You must learn that lifestyle and live accordingly. All these tricks that we normally did when we were in the world is not permitted in this body. So please don't bring tricks. Accounting in the body is not accounting in the world. There are two different things. Do you understand that? So we, we can't... Leadership in the world is not leadership in the body. The Lord Jesus even said that much in Matthew 20. He said the, the rulers of this... The, the, the rulers of the, of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. But it is not supposed to be so for you. He said who is, whoever is going to be greatest amongst you will be what? Least of all. Will be slave of all. In Christianity, leadership is service. The leader is the one that we place as the example that everybody must follow. But in the world, you don't have to see the leader. But in Christianity, you must see the leader. Your leader is the person you are seeing and looking at. That is, which is why in Philippians chapter 3, Paul wrote and said, I want you to mark those who walk as we walk. And don't follow those who are walking differently, whose belly is their God. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, the Bible tells us that God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Remember what we said about baptism, a passage, a, a rite of passage, moving you from a former life to a new life. Moving you from the kingdom of darkness or from the authority, from the power of darkness, the authority that had rights over darkness and conveying us to the kingdom, the reign, the rule of the Son of God. The kingdom of God, I think we are going to look at that at some point in time. I don't know when we'll get there. 
But the kingdom of God refers to the reign of God in your life as an individual. And when we talk of the church, the reign of Christ over the church. It means that a person is a part of the kingdom of God as long as he takes his orders from Christ. If you are taking your orders from anyone apart from Christ, you are not of that kingdom. Do you understand that? For example, there are many Nigerians who are in tune with what is happening in America. But they are in Nigeria. America does not accept them, does not recognize them. But they are hailing what is happening in America. They are not hailing what is happening in their own country. So we could say that they do not belong to this nation. They belong where? To another nation. Which is not accepting them. That's the sad part of the, the, the Nigerian dilemma. The nation that you can be free in, you don't like it. You, we, we know how to insult the nation. But the one that we cannot even get to, they will not even give visas. That's the one that we are reading so much about and propagating. The same thing with the kingdom of God. We propagate everything on social media except the kingdom. So baptism is about translating you or trans, uh, moving you from one kingdom to another kingdom. From the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it's made even more explicit. It says, but you are a chosen generation. You were chosen. You remember what the Lord Jesus said, you did not choose me. But I chose you. You were chosen by God. You are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. Who are priests? Priests are people who serve a, 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 a deity. In our own case, we serve God. Every single one of us, we are priests. A holy nation. The word holiness talks about someone who is set apart for holy purposes. So your holy nation means that you have been set apart for holy use, not for common use, not for Satan's use, but for God's use. We are a holy nation. The you there, but you are, the you there, when you say you are, is, is talking of plural. We all. We are a chosen generation, we are a real person, we are a holy nation. God's own or his own special people. The, I think the King James says peculiar people. You are different. If somebody says, oh, you are different too, that is, as far as I'm concerned, uh, what do you call it now? An accolade. Don't change. You don't have to look like them. You have to be, you have to be different. There must be a way of differentiating between you and the person of the world. Now, God, God chose you that you may proclaim the praises of Him now note what he, what he did here. Who called you out of what? Into his marvelous light. That's baptism. You were brought out of darkness and brought into light. Look at verse 10. It says, you who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. You were a people, but not his people. Do you understand? He was, he was using Israel as the nation of God. You are not God's people. You are not God's chosen people. But now you are God's chosen people.
So you were once Gentiles, outsiders, aliens, but now you are the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy before you were amongst the people upon whom the wrath of God was going to fall. But now what has happened? You have obtained mercy and the wrath is lifted. You have been saved. Do you understand that? Baptisms speak to us about transitions. Our transitioning from one life to another one. From a former lifestyle to a new holy and righteous lifestyle. This has import. If therefore I believe that I am baptized, should my lifestyle still mirror the former life? It cannot. If my lifestyle is still mirroring the former life, then there is no blessing from the baptisms that I've engaged in. The baptisms have not been fruitful or productive in my life. What they are meant to have achieved have not been achieved. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk what? In newness of life. There was an old life. And you just had to die to get this new life. So baptism, speaking on transition, is, it, it, it is of necessity that you must first die. But this is a spiritual thing. What is that death? A death to the world. A death to sin. A death to self. And we died those in Christ. So that when Christ was raised up, we were raised to a new life. No more looking at sin. No more looking at the world. No more interested in self. But only in Christ. The newness of life. It is crucial that we understand that in baptisms you transitioned from an old life, an old lifestyle, an unrighteous and ungodly way of living or doing things to a righteous life, a godly lifestyle, a way of living that is in line and in tune with Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we see another transitioning. And I'm going to read in full, even though it's verse 7 that I want to look at. But read from 5 to 8. 2 Timothy chapter 1 from 5 to 8. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwells first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. He's speaking here of spiritual gifts that came upon him when hands were laid on him. And he's asking him to stir it up. He says, you have faith. I know that you have faith. It was in your grandmother. It was in your mother. And I know I'm convinced it's in you. So, 
why don't you stir up what, what is already in you? Look at verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. What is this saying here? You, were, you have been transitioned from fear and the torment that fear brings to power, to love, to a sound mind, boldness, courageousness. Many people out of fear actually avoid people. They hate people. And fear always brings torment. We are told that in First John. You were transitioned from that. So what are you afraid of still? Why does the spirit of fear still work in you? If you have thus been transitioned, where is the power? The authority of the Spirit of God in your life, whereby you can cast out demons and take authority over situations. Where is it? Where is the love of God that He showed to the world and expects you to manifest to all men? Where is the soundness of mind for you and I? The singleness of mind. The focus of Christ in our lives. The courage with which to preach the goodness of the kingdom. Timothy is here being, being challenged. Use the gift that is in you. Exercise that authority. Be bold about it. Even in, even in suffering, recognize that God is still there. Appropriate the power of God and go through what you need to go through and come out at the other end victorious. When we talk of baptism of suffering, we are talking of a situation in which you are overwhelmed with things that would make you suffer. But because Christ is in you, what has happened? You overcome it. That's why we are called overcomers. It does not overwhelm us. Its plan was to overwhelm us, but we overcame it. This matter of transition, I want you to understand, because of the way we practice it, it appears that our transition is temporary. So that we transition in a way that we say, let us go and taste this one first. And then let us, let us compare. That's what is happening. But transition that baptism speaks about is permanent. So I want to use another word. Conversion. Conversion is an irrevocable movement from one state to the other. You can't go back. The moment you entered into the door of salvation, spiritually speaking, that door is supposed to have been shut behind you. Never to go back. So it is a grievous thing to backslide. It means you knew the door was shut behind you, but you turned back, opened it, and walked out. That's why in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 to 6, the Bible talks about people who once tasted of this and that. It is as if they crucified Christ a second time because you opened the door yourself and walked out. 
Nobody drove you out. You allowed Satan to cheat you into walking back. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 to 9. Matthew 18, verse 1 to 9. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is, is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are what? Converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Without this conversion, having the nature of little children, little children have faith. These children don't believe that you are going to poison them. It is adults who poison the minds of children. A child will eat in any house. It is the adults who tell the children, don't eat there. When I was growing up, I, my father was a middle, uh, middle income person. So we were fairly well to do. We had friends whose, whose fathers were gardeners and gate men. But honestly speaking, we delighted to eat in their homes. As much as they delighted to eat in our homes. Because the food was different. And we went there and ate. They came to our houses and ate. It was when we grew up that we knew the difference. That's what the Lord is saying here. Unless you become converted. And you are like little children. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is reserved for children. People who have that childlike faith. Who forgive easily. You beat a child. He cries, ah, the next minute he's looking for you. In fact, sometimes as he's crying, he's carrying me, carrying me. You beat him, he's still carrying me, carrying me. That's what the Lord is talking about here. In verse 4, it says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You don't see a child carrying shoulder. If you see a child carrying shoulder, come on, what are you carrying shoulder for? Humility must be the watchword. You have been translated from the kingdom where pride is an issue to one where humility is the key. Where pride is frowned at. In verse 5 it says, Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little, little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. What the Lord is trying to tell us here is see the protectionism, if I can use that expression, that God has for little children. If you have that nature, this same protection comes upon you. We are going to be discussing more of that next week by the grace of God. But be like little children. In verse 7 it says, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame, lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. If your hand is going to stop you from being a child, cut it off. If it's your foot that's going to stop you from being humble, remove it. That's why a lot of times 
when we argue about, oh, uh, why should women cover their hair in church? Oh, why should we dress this way? What? All God is saying is, remove this thing that is going to make you go to hell. Some of our pastors who, who elevate fashion and dressing and put on bling blings, they're not going to heaven. They need to get themselves to the place where sobriety is the order of the day. Where humility is the watchword. Verse 9. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than have two eyes to be cast into hellfire. The bottom line here is that without humility, you are not getting near heaven. And the doctrine of baptisms is speaking of that transition, a permanent transition, which we can call conversion. I don't know how many of you, how many of you did physics here? Let me see your hands, so that if I'm misquoting, you can correct me. The law of the conservation of matter, what does it say? It says that matter is never destroyed. It is only converted from one form of energy to another. When you got born again, did, did, did we, were you destroyed? No, you were converted. Do you understand? You were not destroyed. You were converted from one old lifestyle, which is sinful, to a new lifestyle, which abhors sin, and which is a holy lifestyle. But you were converted, irreversibly. And that conversion must stay. In chemistry, we have um, chemical reactions. And I, I, if I remember correctly, in our days, we had irreversible chemical reactions. And reversible ones, right? Good. I'm talking of an irreversible chemical. Once it is done, you can't change it. I think like, is it plastic? Uh-huh, burning of paper is irreversible. You can't get the paper again. It's gone. So, that is what it is like here. Let's look, at, let's look at the breaking of... No, like let's use that burning of paper. You were paper. You were burned. Now you are what? Ashes. You can never become paper again. That is what it is telling us. Your conversion must be irreversible. We cannot become yo-yos. One day we are in, the next day we are out. Baptism talks about a permanence of that transition. You didn't enter to taste it. Like I said, once you entered, the door was shut. You enter the next level of baptism, the door was shut. You cannot get to the baptism of suffering and say, no, I don't want this thing again. Because, first of all, when you were born again, the door to the world was shut. When you entered into the body, the door to your groupings and uh, regular Sunday meetings in your village meetings was shut. Your cult meetings, shut. Homosexuality, shut. All those things, the door was shut. Then you moved on. And you, 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 you declared that as Christ died, you died with him. As he's raised up, you are now being raised up to a newness of life. Water baptism, the door was shut to the rest of the world, to Satan and to all his cohorts. Then you, then you went, you, 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 you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The door of fear and torment was shut. The door of, weakly, of, of weakness and powerlessness was shut. But meekness came in so that you don't abuse the power of the Spirit of God. And now you have entered into the last phase, the baptism of suffering, where you are supposed to use all of this and overwhelm suffering that wants to overwhelm you. You say, no, I, I, I don't want this. You begin to com- grumble, complain, and murmur. Inadvertently, what are you doing? You are reopening the doors 
that were shot. And getting back. You are, you are saying that what God did is a, is a reversible reaction. Not an irreversible one. In Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Repent therefore. Another word for repent is turn away from sin therefore. Turn away from the world therefore. Turn away from a sin loving nature therefore. And be converted. And I add irreversibly. Allow the, the power of God to burn you as that paper is burned and become ashes. God recognizes how important you are. Don't make yourself more important than, the, than is necessary. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12. You were convert, become converted to somebody who is humble. You were a governor. You heard the word of God. You became born again. You are still a governor. No problem. Because you were voted in. But, can we see it in your nature? That is my quarrel. With those who want us, who want us to, to admit Donald Trump as a Christian. Have you taught him what Christianity is about? The fact that he, goes to, that he went to church, does that make him a Christian? There's language that a Christian speaks. Teach him how to speak that language. Teach him what to do, to do right. Teach him to love people. We are the ones hating people. Even the so-called liberals in America, who don't even know God, they are loving of all people. We don't. The scriptures does not teach us to hate. The scriptures teach us to love. Do you know why we are having problems in our country? Because the Christians are the ones who preach hate the most. We fail to realize the unique nature that God has created for us. In fact, the opportunity that God has given to us in Nigeria. That you don't need a visa to go to the north. Do you know what that means? We can preach anywhere. Oh, they kill people there. Persecution is part of it. Try to go to Saudi Arabia, whether you, whether you not have to apply for a visa. And they will ask you, what are you coming to do there? Are you coming for Hajj? No. Are you coming for a business discussion? No. So what are you coming to do? You want to start church? Which church? But we have a situation where we can walk across. I can, I can enter, I can drive to Kano, drive to Sokoto, to walk. And in the process, be able to speak to, a, to one Muslim or the other. But if I begin to preach hate, what happens to the Muslims and myself? We create a wedge between the two of us. We can no longer preach to them. What kind of, what kind of charlatans do we have? Who call themselves leaders of, in, in our churches? They're just charlatans, that's the truth. Let us see this conversion. Like a man of God spoke once. He, he spoke of, uh, what was it I said? Um, is it canal people in high places? What do you call them? Converts in high places. When he talks of converts, he's talking about people who are not really changed. They just, they just became mere converts. And they are in high places. Committing all kinds of offenses. That's what we have today. We have converts in high places. Their, their own conversion is reversible. We still use the word convert on them. But they have reversed it long ago. The Bible is talking of an irreversible conversion. Say, repent therefore, turn away therefore from sin. And be converted irreversibly. 
that you that your sins may what be blotted out. Not just wiped out, completely removed. Nobody sees sin anymore. You you, you know this? Uh, there's this white ink that they used to use in those days. Tipex. That's what it means. Let them tipex your sin out. Repent. Be converted. That God might tipex your sins out. And then they will type righteousness over it. And nobody needs to know that what was there were sinful conducts. So that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Are we enjoying times of refreshing? From the presence of the Lord. You remember when the Lord Jesus spoke in John chapter 7. I think it's verse 37 to 39. After the, the, the feast, people are drunk and then they are drunken and they were excited and everything. And he, he stood up and yelled at the top of his voice, Come unto me, if you are still thirsty, and I will give you to drink. As the scripture has said, out of your bellies shall flow rivers of living water. And the Bible says, This spake he of the Spirit, which was yet to be given. For the Spirit had not been given, for Christ had not yet been glorified. So you go to church. And there's no refreshing in your spirit. Come unto Christ Jesus. And receive the spirit of God. And receive the refreshing. Repent and be converted. Going to church is not it. Repentance must be the beginning. Then you will begin to receive refreshing. Every time you go into the presence of God. Amongst your brethren. Every time you are in the presence of God. In your closet. But when you are being frustrated. When you are feeling frustrated. And out of frustration, you begin to do evil things and begin to think evil thoughts and begin to act contrary to the word of God. Then, you need to run to Christ and seek his refreshing. When we put the matter of transition and conversion, we roll it together and put it, we get something else, which is the, the, the summary of what we are discussing here. Concerning the rites of passage. As it applies to the doctrine of baptisms. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You put that transition. And that irreversible conversion. That permanent transition. And irreversible conversion together. What do you get? Transformation. You want to know the will of God. Be transformed. For as long as you are conformed to this world, which means baptism has not benefited you, you cannot know the will of God. Because you see, the will of God, let's look at it here. The Bible says that you may prove what is that word, good, and acceptable, and perfect will of God. These things, these adjectives, are being used to describe the will of God. Number one, the will of God is good. You may not consider it good, but as far as God is concerned, what is that will? It is good. When Jesus went to the cross, was that the will of God? Was it good? In the eyes of men, they said it's not good. But was it good? Yes! Because if Christ did not go to, to the cross, I won't be born again. The will of God is acceptable to God. 
It may not be acceptable to men, but it's always acceptable to God. Remember when Jesus spoke about his death? What did Peter say? Unacceptable. 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 What did Jesus say to him? He said, you. He said, Satan, get the best. He said, you, you, you say more the things of men, not the things of God. If that transformation has not taken place, you cannot savor the things of God. You will always be savoring the things of men. So, the matter of baptism is to bring us to the place where we recognize that this thing took place in our lives. Though. How come we are not seeing it? It is to challenge you to go to God in prayer and say, Lord, I was baptized by water. I speak in tongues. I can even prophesy now and again. I know some of these things. And now I've, I've learned that I was even baptized into the body of Christ. I'm a part of the body. How come I don't see the things that I should be seeing? It's supposed to get you to go and cry. This is not an academic thing that we're doing. I'm not coming to sound up on my knowledge of the word of God. No. I've come to challenge you. To look back and say, but I was baptized. And as you're reading the things... That says, having been baptized with Christ, I resurrected to a newness of life. How come there's no newness of life in me? How come I still speak the same old way, abusing people, insulting people, laughing and cracking silly jokes? How come that is happening to me? Go and cry to God and say, Lord, no! This, I don't want a, a temporary transition. I want a permanent transition. I don't want a reversible conversion. I want an irreversible conversion. A change that is permanent. A transformation. Let me further explain this. Let's look at the final will of God. He says it's perfect. Perfect to who? To God. You can't add anything to it. You can't subtract from it. We couldn't have, Jesus couldn't have cried and said, Oh, Father, this, this, 40, this 40 stripes is too much. Let them make it 39. Would have been a problem. It had to be 40. Okay, let me have the strokes. No crown of thorns. No, he had to have the crown of thorns. Hang me like they hang the other, the other thieves. No, it had to be nails. The hands and the feet. That was the perfect will of God. That was the perfect sacrifice. I think I've used this expression before, this description before. It bears repetition. When a butterfly mates, it produces eggs and lays them in a cocoon and the, and the butterfly flies away. After a while, what do you have? You have a caterpillar. When I was growing up in, in Lagos, we lived in a compound where there were so many, these caterpillars had tons. They ate everything. That's what the Bible refers to as locusts. It's the caterpillar of grasshopper they're talking about. This one's caterpillar of, of, of butterflies. It will eat anything that is green. Before you know what's happening, all the green plants in the compound, they have become bare. And these caterpillars had thorns. They were every, at a particular point in time, you will see caterpillars everywhere. Cars will be smashing them on the road and everything. And suddenly as they appeared, they will suddenly vanish. You will see them again. How was going on? After a while, you just see butterflies everywhere in the compound. We were young then, we didn't understand this. When we grew up and we did biology that we understood metamorphosis. That they had metamorphosed from egg 
to caterpillar to pupa the quiet state and then they became butterflies. Is it possible for that butterfly to become a caterpillar again? That process, that rite of passage had been passed and it has moved on to achieve what it became a caterpillar for in the first place was to become a butterfly. You cannot remain a caterpillar forever, always eating and eating and eating and eating and not giving anything back. You can't. It can only happen for a short while. After a while, that caterpillar, we didn't know that what happened, that's what was hap- what, that, that had happened. But the caterpillar ate all those things so that it can have enough food stored in it for when it now begins to weave itself into a, another cocoon. And it becomes what, what do you call that now? The pupal stage. It is after a long time that the, that hard pupal case is difficult to open up. But at the, at the right time, what happens? It opens up and out emerges a beautiful butterfly. Nobody could have imagined that what we are seeing as beautiful was that horrible, thorny caterpillar. That is how the life of a Christian ought to be through baptism. You metamorphose. By the time you are coming out, Nobody would believe that that was that wild human being. You are transitioned from a wild character to an amiable character in the kingdom of God. Let's conclude. In baptisms, the believer in Christ is being made to realize and appreciate that he or she is no longer a part of a former life and lifestyle but a part of a new life and lifestyle. Indeed, baptism serves to give knowledge that a change has indeed taken place. It is like a wedding ceremony in which a previously unmarried woman is joined to an unmarried man. And although it is the same woman, many things about her changes. For example, her last name changes, at least in this part of the world. Her residence changes. Most times she's with a man. It goes to stay with the man. But even where it doesn't change, her responsibilities change. She ceases to take care of her parents in terms of cooking food for her, for her father's house. Who is she now cooking food for? Her husband. And then what other change? Her head. Who is her head now? No longer her father, but who? Her husband. Her authority take, changes also. Her authority comes from the husband. And so on and so forth. Baptisms are the transition of a Christian from a life of sin, self, and one lived for the, for the world to a life of righteousness, selflessness, and one lived for Christ. Such transition is usually in phases, but the goal is to bring the Christian to the fullness of Christ in everything. Hence, the Christian is brought into the body of Christ, where he or she is separated from the world and Satan's control, and then empowered to witness and live for Christ, and enabled to overcome the challenges of life, no matter how overwhelming they may seem to be. Can anybody identify the four baptisms that we've mentioned earlier in what we just said? Hmm? The Christian is brought into the body of Christ, baptism into one body. We are he or she is separated from the world and Satan's control. Water baptism or Christian baptism. And then empowered to witness and live for Christ. Holy Spirit baptism. And enabled to overcome the challenges of life no matter how overwhelming they may seem to be. Baptism or suffering. Baptisms 
make the Christian realize that he or she is no longer a part of the world, but now a part of the body of Christ. That he or she is no longer a subject of Satan and his kingdom, but one who lives under the authority of God and a citizen of heaven. That he or she no longer lives for himself or herself, but for Christ Jesus and God the Father. That he or she is no longer to be subject to fear and its torment, but rather to recognize his or her power and authority in Christ. Such a transition must be understood to be permanent. Hence, another way of looking at the essence of baptisms is that they bring to the fore the irreversible conversion of an erstwhile sin-laden, self-centered, evil and worldly nature to a nature that is sin-abhorrent, other-centered, righteous and Christ-like. Both the transition and conversion of the believer in Christ culminate in a transformation which enables the believer to be able to prove the will of God in everything and to do it. Baptisms, thus, bring believers in Christ to the place of recognizing that they can no longer live as they did before they met with Christ and were saved from the wrath of God upon sinners. Baptisms reinforce the truth about the new life which the believer must continue to live, a life that is intricately bound to other believers. I can't stress this enough. In every local assembly, there are people whom God has blessed financially. You are not blessed financially for your private use. No, you are blessed financially for the benefit of other members of that local assembly. That's why God gave you that money. The pastor, for example, or the church leader, has been given the grace to teach, not so that he can go about boasting that he's a teacher of the word. No! So that the people in that body can benefit from him, which was why Paul said, if you have benefited from us in the spiritual things that we've given to you, is it wrong for us to benefit from your carnal things? So there's always an exchange. We are bound to one another. There is nothing that God wants achieved in a local assembly that is not in that assembly. It's there. If it is not there now, it will be there. But know that it is there. In some measure, it is there. We must recognize these things. We must also recognize that, we, that baptisms reinforces this truth about the new life which the believer must continue to live, that is a life that is incredibly bound to others, a life of unity with other believers. Other believers. This matter of denominations, congregations, and so on and so forth, is creating a problem in the body. The body is not benefiting fully from what it should benefit. Can I inform you that there are some people who must leave certain local assemblies because they won't grow beyond anything there. But after they've grown outside, they can still be a blessing to that local assembly from where they left. If the Lord so leads and directs. But to shut your door and say, no, we don't want to hear, something is wrong somewhere. There's no repository in that. As we look at the book of Acts, you will discover that denominationalism does not exist in the scriptures. Only local assemblies exist. The believer must also recognize that he is called to a life of love towards all men. A life of humility before God and man. A life of absolute dependence on God for everything including breathing, eating, working, 
raising a family, and so on. Many of us don't realize that we need God to breathe. That's why we pray when it comes to the matter of eating. Give us this day our daily bread. Even the work we do must be based on our dependence on God. You want to raise a family, depend on God. Many people have asked me, is there anything wrong in family planning? I say, well, I don't know. All I know is that it's God who gives children. There are people who have been married for donkey years, no children. It's not as if they didn't do what others, other people did, but they didn't have. So it's God who gives children. If they were doing family planning, David would never have been born. He was the eighth of eight children. He was the last. He would never have been born. Meanwhile, the first seven were rejected by God. You want to raise a family? Go to God in prayer. God is the one. You don't know why God is giving you the children He's giving you now. So you are having abundance of children. Fine. Change your prayer request. Don't go to pray, Lord, let us let the children stop. Lord, give me the wherewithal to raise these children to fear you. Direct me to raise them. Of course, if you are somebody who cannot do anything but bounce on your wife every day, you need to go and buy DSTV and watch TV and allow the woman to rest. I'm not, I'm not sanctioning just staying on top of your wife every morning. No, 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 no. Indeed, baptisms are more than a ceremony. They are a mark of the transformation or change that has taken place in the life of a believer in Christ. May the Holy Spirit help us to live accordingly as we yield ourselves to Him. Praise the name of the Lord. Just a minute, man. You see, we need to recognize something. Like I said, we've spoken a lot about these things. It's not as if we don't know them. But we must leave the realm of just reading the Bible. I'm just saying, I know this already. The question you should be challenging yourself and asking, what has happened? How come this thing is not happening in my life? How come I'm not seeing this in my life? You should be so challenged as to go to God in prayer. Say, Lord, this permanent transition, this irreversible conversion, this transformation, let it take place in my life. Mommy, you want to say something? Please, the mic. Hallelujah. I want to say that to become a self-sufficient child of God for many does not happen immediately. And why do I say that? Because for me, I was baptized by Franklin Michael's church as a, a baby, a little child. But they, did, they took me when I'm already walking to baptize me and gave me a name. But later in my years, I left um, St. Michael's church and I started worshiping with Baptist church because my husband that I married, that was the church who was going to Baptist so I became born again after I have gone through a water baptism in Baptist Church. But I found out that 
since you are not really, really okay with me, I was coming home with a lot of things. You are not okay. I was struggling. So what did I do? I prayed. And the Lord told me to get baptized again. And I did. What am I saying? To be baptized is necessary for you. But you have to go to God and pray and find out who baptized you, how you got baptized. Because you must have that peace of mind that you are truly now in the kingdom of the living God. Because where are we heading to? In uh, Hebrew 12, from verse 22, it says, But you, you have come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and and to the general assembly and church of the firstborns. In heaven there is only one church, the church of the firstborn, the church of Jesus Christ. All the names here are null and void. They will take you nowhere. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So, if you think that you are not okay, you can go to pastor and tell him, please, I want to be baptized again. And he is supposed to take all of us to the river and baptize you. So that you will have that peace of mind that truly, truly, when you pray, you are okay. When you are walking, you are okay. Wherever you are going, you are okay. At your age now, you can go to the pastor and tell him, Please, I need to go through water baptism again so that you'll be sure. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, to, to, I think I've mentioned this before, to corroborate what mommy said. Um, my wife and I were already in ministry, pastoring, when one day she had a dream. She woke up and shared the dream with us, uh, with me rather. She said um, that she saw this tall building, right? Very tall building. And she was, she was at the top of the, of the building. And the building was moving. And she was afraid. So I asked her, what did you, what do you, what's your response? I can't remember what she said. But I said, well, God is saying to you that you are getting to a height where there's something you must look at your foundation. If your foundation is wrong, You'll be afraid, even though the thing is there, but you'll be afraid. So, what in your foundation is missing? And then she said, actually, that she was baptized at the age of 16 when she was to go overseas for school. It was her mother who bundled her to join the rank of people being baptized. But she wasn't born again. But after she got born again, many years later, she assumed that that baptism was sufficient. I said, no, 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 no. True baptism starts after you are born again. And at that time, incidentally, well, not because there's, not, there's no incident or accident with God. At that time, we were teaching a group of people who were mature believers. Some of them had been ministers in their churches before coming to the assembly. Were mature believers, but who were yet to be water baptized. So I said to her, join that class. If I was a very interesting class. Because I'm sure the least, the youngest person there, in terms of years of being born again, must have been 10 or so years. The least. 
and we taught all of them and took them to the, the waters and they were, they were baptized. Another interesting thing happened. After the, because the, we had a baptismal class leader. It was a lady. She had been baptized. So she joined me in the water and we did the baptism of everybody. So after everybody had left and I grabbed her hands and said, okay, let us pray. And he said, no, no, daddy, no, you have to baptize me. I said, what are you doing? He said, no, 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 that when I did it, I didn't understand it. Now I want to do this thing with meaning. So I had to baptize her again in the water. The point we're trying to make here is that you don't have to, it's not as if God will say, go and be baptized again. No. But you need to challenge yourself and say, Lord, this thing I'm hearing about baptism and what it is supposed to have achieved in my life. I'm not seeing it in my life. Why? Talk to God and then you'll be amazed at what God will do. How God will open up things to you. It might be the fact that you need to be rebaptized again. Or, you know, so many, remember we mentioned that when we talk about baptism, there must be a baptizer who is divinely appointed. Not somebody who appointed himself. Number two, the baptized must be prepared a priori. They must be prepared. Baptism is something that you do with understanding. Many of people who come up with infant baptism is because they really didn't understand the scriptures. But now we have understanding. So let's do what is needful. So I want us to pray. Just for a few minutes. Talk to God. As you have been challenged. This matter of baptism is the result of baptism as enumerated in the scriptures. Is it applicable in your life? If the answer is no, then you need to talk to God and say, Lord, help me. Is it that I walked out? Was it that the baptism was ineffective? Was it not properly done? What was it? What really happened, Lord? Inquire of the Lord. He will tell you. Are you still afraid? Fearful of things? Why? If you were baptized, fear does not need to exist in your life. The Bible says that God has not brought you through the spirit of fear, but one of power, of love, and of a sound mind. If there is no peace in your heart, and you say you have been baptized, what baptism is it? There are many people who, are, who claim to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues, but that is the end. No demonstration of the power of God. No, no power to witness. No power to live for Christ. Then what baptism was that? You need to talk to God. Challenge yourself. Say, Lord, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong in what, what happened to me? The scriptures cannot be wrong. The scriptures are saying something which is true, yet I'm not seeing it in my life. Is it that I'm living a different lifestyle? Have I turned away to something else? Sorry to say, but many people are in churches where idolatry is the practice, even though it is shrouded in the name of Jesus. It is shouted in the name of God, but it is idolatry. A gold calf has been built and erected. When we are told to pray in the name of Pastor so and so, we have a problem. 
The Bible already tells us in what name to pray in the name of Jesus. Why do we turn it to the name of Pastor this and that? The God of Pastor this and that. Do you know what God we are talking about? The God that we have been called to talk to is the God and Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ. Full stop. Talk to the Lord as it has ministered to you. Are you still living in the kingdom of darkness? Are you still being controlled by Satan or self? Then you need to start talking to God. Probably that transition did not take place. Because if indeed that transition took place, you should have been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Father, we just want to thank you for that which you have shared in our hearing. I pray, eternal rock of ages, that that which you have spoken in our hearing will not go, will not fall on deaf ears, but rather, Lord, it will be and will bear fruit in our lives. It will be fruitful and will become productive, helping us to live a productive life on a daily basis. Pray, Almighty and everlasting God, that idolatry will be a thing of the past in our lives. That sensuality, pride, and lust will be terminated permanently in our lives in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, everlasting Father. Even as you help us to live in the newness of life. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen.